On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are talking about going back to school. We are talking about kids and their future, not to do with school, just in general. Should we ask them what they want to do with their life, or is that only going to destroy their self-esteem? Someone says it's a really bad idea. We'll talk about that one. We're going to talk about envy, and we are going to talk about the Blue Jays' powder blue pajamas. Thumbs up or thumbs down on those. Stick around. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. Time to bring in our good friend from Cable 14, Michael S. Fortune. Or maybe it's Michael E. Fortune for Elvis. I'm not sure. But anyway, Michael Fortune joins us again. Mike, how are you tonight? Michael J. Fortune is in the house. How you doing, Scotty? Nice to be here, pal. Nice to be here as well. Now, we're going to be changing up the uh, the brightest conversation a little bit. We'll explain it in a couple of minutes to people. But I do want to ask you something first, just before we get into the important stuff. Yeah. I was watching a little hockey the last couple of days. You probably are too. Uh, <laughs> oh, watching yeah. a little basketball the last couple of days. And I'm trying to figure something out because now that there are no fans in the building, coaches, uh, Nick Nurse for the Raptors, wearing polo shirts. Uh, John Tortorella wearing sweatsuits on the bench. Why is it that when there's no fans in the building, coaches don't have to wear a suit anymore, even though they're still on TV? Why, why are coaches in pro sports wearing a suit anyway, or in baseball, a uniform? Why Why are they not just wearing a t-shirt anyway? Well, I, I, I can say for the, the basketball, it looks really sharp, I think. All the teams are wearing their polos and their black dress pants. Still looks better. uniformed. I, the John Tortorella thing I thought was a little odd because you are still seeing some coaches behind the bench wearing their suits. Why is he wearing a, a sweatsuit? I have no clue. You know what? I think it just goes with tradition, Scotty. Uh, coaches have always worn suits behind the bench, uh, whether it be basketball or uh, or hockey. I know football has gone from suits to, well, you see the Bill Belichick uh, situation with torn sweatshirts. I guess it's. I guess it's. Maybe we're at a time where we're going to change. COVID is changing everything. Why not change the way players come into arenas and how coaches dress behind the bench? I, I love the idea. For I'll tell you one real reason because I am so tired of seeing minor sports, youth sports, kids sports, and you now have coaches who are wearing a suit behind the bench for hockey and stuff, or you know, getting all dressed up for basketball. It's like no, just. It's kids sports. You don't have to replicate what's going on in the pros. It's kids sports. And you don't have to, if you're in kids hockey, the kids don't have to show up at the arena wearing a suit or wearing a tie. That's idiotic. But we're doing that now with our kids. We've been doing it for years. I'm hoping this changes that. Yeah, and, and maybe it will. But, you know, I've always grown up in a world, I like wearing a suit and tie. I'm going to be honest with you. And I think showing that little bit of professionalism when you are entering your place of work uh, makes a lot of sense. And, and maybe at the younger ages, I, I'm not talking, you know, the four five, six, the midget, the midget teams, but when you do get up to triple a and such, why not show a little respect for your job, for what you are trying to accomplish. And you know what, it probably makes you even feel, I know when I put on a suit and tie, I feel, I feel like Superman, right? So why not when you're going into the arena, I don't have a problem with it personally. I really I don't. don't. As a matter of fact, I'd rather see that then, as I alluded to earlier, the Bill Belichick look, which I think is absolutely ridiculous. Okay, so I'm not actually suggest I don't I don't disagree with the respect thing, and I don't disagree with looking sharp. Uh, I'm not actually suggesting that kids show up, that 15 year olds showing up wearing torn beer T-shirts with no sleeves <laughs> to a hockey game. But, but that's although some happen. would, but, although but some would, but you can potentially happen. So you, but you, pretty, you set a standard. 
But pretty much every team has some sort of warm-up uniform or some sort of sweatsuit or something that you could wear that you all look like a team. But back to the coaches. The biggest one to me is I'm still trying to figure out how in 2020 we still insist that baseball managers (laughs) wear a uniform with a number as if they are ready to get on the field and play with their arthritic knees and their cases of rickets and their giant pot bellies. And we are expecting that the, why is a baseball manager wearing a uniform? I I know it's tradition because once upon a time they played once upon a time, it's because they used to be players as well. But now there is no chance. Charlie Montoyo is going out there to pitch a relief inning for the blue Jays. I'm going to doesn't need to be in a uniform. I'm just going to throw it back to tradition again. I believe, and please correct me if I'm wrong. I probably, I think it was, wasn't it Connie Mack back in the day? He actually did wear a suit in the dugout. He did. It was Connie Mack. Um, Again, it goes to tradition. I know there are some managers that, you know, instead of that, they like Cito Gaston, he was notorious, and so was John Gibbons. You know, they, they don't, they, they just wear a jacket over. I know half the time they didn't even wear their jersey. They would just wear a jacket, right? But, yeah, I, I get it. Tradition, man, that's all it comes down to. I do think it does look a little funny, but what else would they wear in the dugout then? What would you, would you rather suits. see them in more of a... A leisure Toronto Blue Jays uh, tearaway pants and, and a jacket or a sweatshirt, or would you rather see them in a suit and a fedora? I'm not necessarily a fan of a lot that John Tortorella does, but I think John Tortorella may be the guy who is leading the way in fashion here. I think coaches or or even the the polo shirts. What what would be wrong with a baseball manager wearing a nice sharp polo shirt and a pair of slacks? Nothing wrong with it. The one the one I. I noticed it right off the hop myself. The one thing I'm thinking is because you are in the bubble, it's probably a lot easier to maintain and clean polo shirts and slacks as it is yep. opposed to ties and dress shirts and then suits, right? And if you don't know what it would look like, if you can't picture exactly, just watch the Little League World Series. The coaches wear a polo shirt and they wear pants, dress pants of some kind, and they look really sharp. They match with the team. And, you know, I like, again, to me, the thing was always, uh, Tommy Lasorda was always my example. The man, (laughs) lovely man, wonderful manager, seemed like he was just a wonderful person to be around. He made baseball uniforms look like they were barely hanging on for dear life for the buttons not to explode. And it's like, come on, Tommy, you, you could probably do, you could look nicer, better if you wore something else. You don't need to be in a uniform. Anyway, well, again, anyway. and again, as I alluded to, COVID is changing everything, and maybe this is just another thing that we we kind of take a look at. And and but but you never hear baseball managers or coaches complain about it, do you? Like I've no, well, no, no one says anything. Say, this is horrible. No one says anything. I if we're not going to let them get into polo shirts, I say that every manager must play at least one inning every week. <laughs> if you're going to be in uniform, you've got to play. Oh my gosh. We're, we're, <laughs> <laughs> we got to take a break. Know, Ponder that even, one for where, a moment. Where would you even put any of the managers nowadays? What would they even be able to do out there? They would be like Les Nessman in right field. Oh, please, God, don't let me hit, don't let them hit the ball to me. Don't hit the ball to me. That's right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> when you and I were talking the other day off the air because you have a big decision to make and, and you are not the only one. There are lots and lots and lots and lots of people who are trying to figure out what to do two or three weeks from now, when school opens again, you've got kids who are school age, one in elementary or middle school, one in high school. What are you doing? What, what, how do you think through this? What, what are you planning to do with your kids? So had you asked me uh, that question last Thursday or Friday, it was between my wife and I, it was a hard no. 
Since then, we have had further conversations internally with some other parents and, of course, with our kids. And we've started to, and we actually have to make our decision by the 17th, whether we're going to opt in for, for online learning or sending our kids to school. We're now, we're now more on the side of, well, we really like what the high school setup is going to be, the Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Tuesday, Thursday, alternate Fridays, um, in regards, and then half days and a little study period or being able to talk to your teachers. We also look at my daughter's school, which we're fortunate. They are already a very small elementary school with just a few hundred students. And if there are fewer kids probably going, that means it's going to be even a smaller school size. Plus, the COVID numbers are a lot lower now than when they were in March. And we're thinking maybe we do give the kids that opportunity to go out and we are hammering it into their heads, Scott. And this was where parenting comes in. I hope all parents are doing this that send their kids to school if they do do that. Wash your hands. Don't touch your face. Wear your mask. Do all the little things that you have to do. So we are in a position, Scott, where we think has not final. We're gonna. My wife and I will have a couple more talks before we have to do with the survey. We think we will be sending our kids to school at this point. However, of course, at the first sign of any any trouble, we're going to yank them out and uh, we'll, we'll go to the, the full online learning. You know, it, after you and I chatted, I started looking, tried to think about, because my kids are not in that position anymore. And I thought, okay, what would I do? Mm-hmm. And, you know, the numbers came out the other day and, and you just alluded to it, that right now in Hamilton, and I know it's scary and I know COVID is terrifying for a lot of people and all the rest. First of all, you've got this McMaster study that came out a few weeks ago that said kids under 10, especially younger kids are unlikely to be super transmitters or whatever it was called. But also in Hamilton right now, we have 30, 30, 30 active cases of COVID. And I look at that and I go, the chances that my kid is going to come in contact with one of 30 people in the city who have this especially if, you know, they're washing their hands, as you say, um, it, it's, it's, it's really, really small. Doesn't mean it's impossible, but I'm, you know, I, after we chatted, I, I'm saying to myself, if I was still in that position, I would probably be saying, let's go to school. And you're right. If there's a huge outbreak, we can reevaluate things, but boy, it seems like, you know, we're not talking thousands of cases around the city. No, if I said to you, nothing like what's happening in the States, nothing. No, like if I said to you, Mike, that I tell you what, there are 30 people in Hamilton right now who each have a $1 million check in their pocket. And if you can find one of those people, you get to have the check. What do you think the chances are that you're, the odds are that you would run in or be able to find one of those people? Yeah, it's, it's pretty slim. It's pretty slim. So like I said, we, we've weighed, um, all the different ways that we can kind of look at this. Again, we will continue to have discussions and talks with our kids. And, um, you know, I, I think at this point for us, this is the right decision. Um, I feel for the teachers. I feel for the ones that still don't feel that there is a proper protocol or procedures put into place. Um, but, you know, th- this, is, this is something, like I'm seeing it in my daughter. My son, I'm not too concerned about at 15, almost 16 now. He's got a circle of friends. 
um, that they social media and text and talk on the phone with my daughter. However, though, she has um, uh, she, she's lost all of her friends. Basically, she doesn't have that circle, that network because she's younger. And I'm just seeing a difference in her. So hopefully mm. a little social interaction um, and some in-school learning will, will, will benefit her. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. We're talking about going back to school right now. Anyway, we're talking about the idea. Mike has kids that are in that zone, in that age group of going back. Uh, Nick joins us on the line now. Nick, how are you tonight? Uh, I'm pretty good. Excellent. Um, uh, my my question is uh, why do uh, at least uh, why why do why do people seem to treat the um, internet option uh, the uh, remote education uh, option at least uh, to uh, to be the uh, almost a second class citizen uh, when uh, for example uh, during my uh, high school years, I would have, uh, I would have, uh, preferred that. Nick, I thank you for the call. Um, Mike, it's, you know, it's like, it's a point that has been, thanks by the way, Nick, as I say, uh, Mike, it's, it clearly is seen right now as I don't think a lot of people are confident, if anything, in the internet, in the online thing. And mostly probably because of what we saw at the end of last year. I mean, there were people who just checked out and the internet online stuff was very, random and scattered and some people it was pretty good and some it was awful I, you know I, here's my question mike if your kids stay home what is your expectation at this point for the online part of the education that they're going to get my expectation would be that every teacher out there has had five or six months to fully prepare themselves to properly engage with students online um from March to the end of June, um, both my children were doing online learning, and majority of the teachers, it was, here are your assignments for the week, um, have them in by Friday, if you have any questions, get back to me, and there were some occasions where you wouldn't hear back from your the, the teacher within three or four days which then causes anxiety and frustration because you want to get your project done. You don't want it to be late, whatever the case might be. Um, Of course, of course. No, I I completely understand that. Um, And, uh, you know, the system can be implemented uh, uh, better or worse, um, depending uh, depending on the school, depending on numerous factors. Uh, but uh, on the other hand, uh, so can uh, so can the live version of school. I think um, what we also have to remember is you know th- there are th- a lot of discipline is required, and there are not. Who just, are you talking about? Students or teachers? Well, students, teachers, and parents. Let's face it we all we yep. all have different ways that we feel comfortable learning, and. There were, I'm fortunate. I have two kids that have been able to handle online learning. But as a parent, I have also had to be there on top of it. I can't, and I've, I've heard horror stories talking to other parents where they've just simply had to unplug and they quit even trying to go online, learning, trying to figure out what grade five math or science is all about because it's even too much for them. 
you know, it, it, Mike, I, let me jump in for a second though, because yeah, I, I've heard this a bunch of times where yeah. people say, you know what, some of the, some of the online learning, I mean, it, you know, it's not, it's not all equal and everything. Well, listen, in class learning is not all equal. There are great teachers. There are not so great teachers. There are classes that have disruptive students. There are classes that don't have disrupt. We, we don't live in a, in a utopia. So, so you, this stuff, it's not the same, but here, here's the thing about this. The online stuff, you're right. This started May or March. March 13, I believe, was the day that schools were stopped. You have now had March, April, May, June, July, August. You will have had six months. If after six months, when the kids go on to their online stuff, if it still can't be figured out, something is wrong because every other industry has figured stuff out. And I'm not saying it's going to be perfect. But I don't think there's any excuse for the parents, for the kids, or for the teachers now to say, oh, well, we can't do this. This just can't be done. No, it can. Again, maybe not perfectly, but it can be done. You've had six months to figure this thing out. And you also have, we also have to remember, too, there are people within our community and beyond who, believe it or not, Scott, still don't have access to Internet, which is considered an essential service. They do not have access to a decent device that will allow them uh, for Excel, Word, or PowerPoint, whatever the case might be. So there's also that hurdle. But the teachers really now ha have to be there for their students. The parents now, even more, have to be there for their kids to get this figured out and to create some sort of normalcy. Um, yeah. You, I just don't know. see there being an excuse now. I just don't. I, I mean, there again, no I'm, I'm, I'm not expecting perfection. Gosh, no. But I'm expecting reasonable levels of education on here with some challenges. But again, if you have a class, if you're a teacher and you have a class with a very disruptive student, that's a challenge. And nobody has ever said, well, if you've got a disruptive student, we just can't teach. No, we say you have to figure out a, res a response to that. You have to figure out a way to handle it. It's the same with this. It's not going to be perfect, but I'm hoping that when people do their online stuff, that people say, you know what? Good for the teachers because the time off over the summer when they have had some time, I know it's supposed to be their vacation, but it's also prep time. We always hear that it's prep time. Good for them. They figured it out along with the school boards and we now have a much, much, much better system for this. Anyway, and I would break. like to point out, I don't want to paint all the teachers with the same brush because I've also heard some fantastic stories about teachers who have created time out of their, their own weekends yes. and nights to do one-on-one -on -one training, to even drive by a house for crying out loud and that's socially Mike... distance on a porch. That's going above and beyond. And boy, but I that's... Sure hope we hear more of that. That's why there's no excuse because we have seen yeah. that there are teachers who have made this work very, very well. Well, if some can make it work, why can the rest not make it work? I, I agree with you. There are many that this is going to be no sweat. Let's make sure, or let's hope that there's, it's pretty much across the board. Let us take a break. Back after this with Mike Fortune, Scott Radley on 900 CHML. Stay with us. It ties into the world we live in that, you know, jobs are changing, careers are changing. Not everything is the same as it was. You don't go, most people anyway, getting into the workforce today and go to work for a company and stay there for 50 years and get your gold watch and retire with a pension. You're going to bounce around. And so there was a, a, a piece that was written by someone who says, you know what, 
we should not, when you've got your young kids and you know, you, you, you say, Hey, what do you want to be when you grow up, Johnny? What do you want to be when you grow up, Sally? We shouldn't do that anymore because they're probably not going to achieve that because of the way the world is now. And if they don't achieve that and we've pressured them or suggested they give us an answer to what do you want to be when you grow up, it's going to harm their sense of self-worth and feel like they've failed. And therefore, we should just not be asking that question anymore. What do you, what do you think about that idea? Well, heck, I'm, I'm in my mid-40s. I still don't know what I want to do when I grow up, Scott. So. <laughs> <laughs> People ask me all the time, what do you want to do? Um, no, and, and I agree with that. And I, I think I've, my wife and I, we've probably made that mistake. But I, I think maybe a better way of, of, of trying to figure out what your kids want to do when they grow up is saying, well, what interests you right now? You know, what, 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 do you, what do you think is kind of interesting that's going on in the world? Because I, I do agree. You know, I look back on some of my, my old memoirs from when my mom took notes of me when I was a kid, and it was I wanted to be a police officer, and I wanted to be a major league baseball player. And, well, okay, fail there, fail there. Um, you know, and you never know what route what journey your life is going to take. And almost by starting them off at 5, 6, 10, 12 years old and saying, well, what do you want to do? And they say, I want to be X, Y, Z. You know, you're almost pigeonholing them as well. Let them do what they want. Let them explore different opportunities because you never know what's going to be that one thing that's going to make them click. And you don't want them to look back and have any, to your point in the article, any regrets, right? See, I, I, I'm the opposite on this one. And I, I, I had the same things when I was a kid. I'm sure I said at one time, I want to be a cop or a firefighter or an astronaut, or I know I wanted to be a, a professional hockey player. I know I wanted to play in the NHL. That didn't happen. But I also know that having had those dreams and aspirations and not achieving them has not destroyed my sense of self-worth or made me feel less of a person. Or like when I look back on my childhood pictures and I go, you know, when I was five, I said I was going to play in the NHL and I didn't. So therefore my life is a hopeless, worthless wreck. No, you're five, six, seven, 10, 12, 15. When I was going into university, I didn't know what I wanted to do legitimately. It didn't make me ruin my self-esteem because I did something eventually that I didn't plan on. This to me, this to me is one of those ideas that, that is just, is so over the top bubble wrap protecting the feelings of our kids that they shouldn't be able to be asked what you want to do when you grow up for fear that they may not do that. Ah, uh, no, I, yeah, no, I, no. I, see, I, I see where you're coming from. Look, I, I'm, you and I, I think are, are on the same page. I'm not in a world of bubble wrapping my kids either, you know? Um, let them fall, scrape their knee, let them make mistakes, let them learn the hard way, try to be there to support and coach them. But in regards to, um, you know, asking what do you want to do when you grow up, I, I, the way it was posed, I don't think that is the way we need to go anymore. Let them do whatever they want. Tell them they can be whatever they want to be. There are some kids out there. And but, they know, you know, but they can't. But they can't. They can't be whatever they, that's, that's, see, I think that's the bigger misconception when you say you can do anything you want to do. No, you can't. No, well, you, I'm sorry. I hate to burst bubbles, but no, you can't. I, I, I think you can. If you put your mind, your heart, your soul, your, your time, your determination, you, you, you study, you work hard, you're in the gym, whatever it might be. I think you can. I, I, I truly think you can. You're, you might have to work a heck of a lot harder than some other people where it comes a lot more naturally, but I think you can. 
no matter how much I worked at it as a six foot four, and I had an advantage. I mean, I was six foot four, almost six foot five. So I'm, I'm, but with the leaping ability of someone that if I really got air while I was skying on the basketball court, you could maybe put a thick slice of bread between my feet and the floor. Uh, there was, I didn't matter how hard I worked, Mike, I was never going to play in the NBA. I could have been in the gym every day, in the weight room every day, and I could have said, I'm going to do it. There was no chance that that was going to happen. There's things you just can't do. Now, you're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Mike, I said, I, I got to let you have your re- rebut to my comment because I uh, had to go to a break before you were allowed to do that. And then we're going to get to Stefan's call. Your, your, your rebuttal to my position that you just can't be whatever you want to be. So I, I know we've kind of leaned this a little bit towards sports, and I'm going to go with your comments about you know your size and playing basketball and, and hockey and all that stuff. You, know, you talk to any athlete, and I know you have talked to hundreds if not thousands of athletes, athletes that really want to be in the pros, whether it be hockey, baseball, basketball, they eat, breathe, sleep the sport. They're up at four in the morning. They're training. They're practicing. They're obsessed. They're they, obsessed. They're obsessed. So with all due respect, you obviously weren't obsessed enough to, to play in any major sport. So if, That if is true. Really, so if you really want to do it, and you talk to these athletes, it's their dream. Now, even if they make the show for a cup of coffee, they reached their goal. They did it. What you do after that's your own story. You want to be a lawyer. You want to be a doctor. You will put in the time, the energy, and the effort to do what you truly want to do. Hence why I'm still not doing what I want to do, because I honestly have no clue what I still want to do with my life. I'm going to be completely <laughs> honest with you. And, uh, and to be able to tell a kid that you can do whatever you put your mind to, I think is a positive reinforcement. And if they change their mind and they say, I don't want to be a lawyer now, now I want to be a physiotherapist, hey, Put your heart and soul into it. Go for it. And if you want to change your mind again, go for it. But don't pigeonhole them into saying, if that's what you're going to do, that's what you're going to stick with. Stefan has called in and has been waiting very patiently. The lines have been open today, 905-645-3221 or star 9900. You're welcome to jump in on the conversation anywhere. Stefan, as I say, has been waiting. How are you this evening? Uh, quite well, thank you. Excellent. Thanks for calling in. What do you think about this? <laughs> Well, thank you. First of all, did you, Steve, did you, uh, sorry, Scott, do you think you'd be a radio announcer when you were growing up? Uh, did I think I was going to be a radio announcer? Yes. Not in a billion years. I didn't, but you know what? You're, very, you're doing very well when you're doing it. Well, thank you, Stefan. You're I appreciate that. You see, now for me. Your check uh, is in the mail. <laughs> thank you, Ryan. <laughs> I mean, for a million dollar check, okay? <laughs> it is great. What? What do you think about this idea, though? Is it is it okay to tell kids they can be whatever they want? Is that a good thing, or is it's it okay, misleading? But you know what? It's like, it's like, oh, I'm going to be in the NHL. Don't do that. So be reasonable? Be, be yeah, realistic, I mean? Or what do you mean? I'll tell you what, Scott. I'll tell you what. I love to sing. Am I going to be in the opera? No. I was singing in choirs? Yes, I have. So be so realistic is the way to go. Indeed. Okay. Stefan, I thank you. Thank you for waiting so long to come in. I really appreciate you calling today. Call back again sometime. We would love to have it. All right, Mike. So Stefan maybe has just bridged the gap between our two things here is, um, is his point of let kids say that encourage them to be whatever they want to be. But if there is clearly no chance, they're going to be that thing to be realistic and let them know that as well. Sure. There's always those realistic, um, um, ways of going about doing things. 
And and sometimes a child, a young adult, teenager, whatever you want to be, sometimes they have to find out the hard way. And maybe it is through some criticism. Maybe it is by being on that stage for the first time singing in front of a live audience and realizing, oh, maybe this isn't for me. But at least they've <laughs> been tried there, it done then, that, right? Yep, yep, been there and done that. And um, you'll notice I'm not doing musical theater right now. <laughs> nor am I, nor am I. Mind you, I, I sound fantastic in the shower. Well, we, you know, we all do. The shower, the shower is a magical place that takes all horrible singers and puts our notes in key. I don't know how right. it does it, but it's, uh, it, it is amazing how it works that way. No, I, 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 this piece, you know, again, to me, the idea that, it, and there are two different things we're talking about here. One is, should we ask kids what you want to do when you grow up? And the person who wrote this piece saying, no, don't do that. I, I, that I think is completely ludicrous. I, I don't there think there is nothing wrong. in asking a child no. what they want to do. What, like, why you, not? By asking, you're taking an interest. You're, you're, exactly. you're finding exactly. out what, what, what interests them. And it's going to change a hundred times probably. I, a hundred percent. And I don't think there's any failure then. If you say as a kid, I want to be a doctor and you don't turn out to be a doctor. There's no failure in that. The second part though, about can should you tell a kid they can be whatever they want to be? Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll bridge the gap. I'll say, I, you know, to your point and to my point, it obviously it's not true, but I don't think that it's necessary to quash or to, to squelch everyone's ambition as a child. If you want to try for it, Sure. Sure. You know what? Fine. Your role as a parent or guardian is to encourage and support and, you know, to, to be part of your youngsters team, whether it be the chauffeur to go out three, four nights a week to take them to dance or basketball class or, or, or practice, right? You're part of that support system. And we only have a few seconds. We only have seconds before we have to go to the news, but should you ever as the adult with a young kid, tell them the truth? You can't sing worth a lick. Why don't you find another hobby or just say, no, no, you'll figure it out yourself. I think they figure it out themselves. I want to ask you this. I read something and boy, this seemed to me to nail what was going on these months. Person wrote a, a column that said, we are living right now in the age of COVID envy. Not that you're envious of people who have COVID. That's certainly not the case. But everybody that has something else that you don't, you're envious of, I'm envious of, whoever is envious of. If someone has a cottage rented for the summer and you don't, you're envious of them. If someone owns a cottage, oh, you're envious of them. If you are in an apartment and you see someone who owns a house, you're envious. If you have a house, but someone has a house with a pool, you're envious. This has exposed our level of envy for other people. You agree with that? Uh, I don't know if it's just COVID that has opened that up. I think social media actually opened that up. You go, you, you know, everyone puts all these happy things on, on social media. So I don't know if it was just COVID related. It may have amped it up a little bit. But, um, you know, people like to show and tell what they have. And, you know, if, if you want to be envious, that's that's your prerogative. You know, I, I always kind of look around and I'm just very happy and grateful for, for what I have worked for, accomplished, and what I have in my life. And at the end of the day, who cares if someone has a cottage or can get away? Do you have your health? That's all that truly matters at this point, I think. I, I think you've nailed something, though, because I'm sure that co- that uh, social media has exacerbated this, because you're right. People People generally don't post on social media 
the failures they have in life. They post their happiest moments, their most perfect moments so that other people are designed. It's designed to make people envious of you, whether it works or not. So maybe, maybe that's exactly it. And now it's just, as I say, exacerbated because we're, many people are either stuck at home or you're not doing as much. And so, you know, yeah, you've, look, you've got a pool. Oh man, I want a pool. You've got, you've got a backyard. I want a backyard. You've got a big backyard. I want a big backyard. Every, everything is, we all want something now that we don't have because we're sort of stuck. But, but, but look at, at maybe what they don't have, you know, you don't know the heartache that's, that they're maybe dealing with as well. So, you know, I take all that with a grain of salt. I try to keep an open mind in regards to what I see, what I read. I saw a great comic when COVID first came out and it was all about zoom meetings, which it still is, is, you know, everyone has this perfect, beautiful background and they're displaying books and pennants and pictures of shaking hands with famous people, but around them, their house, is just a complete disaster and clutter area, right? So it's all perception. It, it's all what they want you to think they have and so on and so forth. Be happy for what you have. And again, I said it before, as long as you have your health and your family close to you, that's all that truly, truly matters in this day and age, I think. Uh, you're on fire today because, again, I think you're right about the Zoom thing. Zoom has become, and we've all used it or... or um Microsoft meeting or something where you're now having these meetings in your house. And yes, the background for a lot of people now defines them. You got to have a good background. And to be very fair, the background when I do mine is atrocious. Uh, it looks like I'm in the bat cave, which what I kind of am. I'm don't down you, in the basement. Don't you have that Elvis Presley Boulevard sign up there? I'm envious that I don't have one of those. No, <laughs> that's not in the background. That's up beside me on the okay. wall beside me. But no, the background is horrible. But yes, is how many people are, when they do their Zoom meetings, have set up where their computer is going to be so that people think that what's in the background is really spectacular. Yeah, it's, it's, and I would say a lot of them. By all means. And, you know, be, being in the, in, the, in the television industry, when I was doing those virtual town halls and I was having some talks with my producers, I was, one, I was doing the same thing. I was putting pillows and all this stuff. And my producer finally said to me, he said, Mike, less is more. And that's an old saying. It goes way back. Less is more. Don't clutter it because then you're taking the focus away from you. So guess what? I scaled everything right down. Here's, my, here's what I have. Now, I made sure it was neat and tidy behind me. But you don't, I don't, you don't have to show everything off. You don't have to be the know-it-all, the look at me because you're focusing on the conversation at hand and the person on the screen, not what's in the background. As I've said all night, the lines have been open today for anyone who wants to join the conversation. Fred has decided to do that. We're glad he's with us. Fred, how are you tonight? Not bad, Scott. Not bad. Yeah, I You think that like, COVID has made us more envious? Yes, it has. It, it's been through all my life like that. Uh, even when I worked at Stelco, certain things I did, people were, why, why did you do this? And everything worked out okay. Now, I've been through, like you guys, through school, trying to figure out what to do. Different things. Everybody does something over the years. But I find, seeing I am kind of successful on what I've done, I have a lot of people that are jealous of what I do have. But they could have done the same thing as me, but they didn't do that. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I, uh, well, that's the whole, that's the idea of envy, isn't it? Yes, and today, with the way the world is right now, 
I, I don't have a problem with what's going on. I feel sorry for a lot of other people, but a lot of people are living way above their means, and now they're being punished for what they did. Now, I try to live, just go along and try and live simple and do things and that, and I've, been, I've become successful in my own way. And I went to the bank, for example, and I paid my city taxes. And the lady at the bank said to me, you're the first person who's ever paid your taxes. Wow. You know, if I'm able to do it now, why didn't people do it before, do the same thing? You know, and they just don't want to pay. Well, down the road, the way the situation is, you know, Scott, they got to pay things back or what they're getting. So it's the way they want to live, I guess. Fred, I thank you for the call. Appreciate you calling well, and call again sometime. Well, uh, Mike, th- Mike, it's, it's a... Um, I'll say this, I, and I'm not in the circumstance, and I'm thankful for that. There is one group of people or one situation that I almost can say, you know what, being a little envious, which generally is a bad thing, I would almost understand it. And that is when this whole thing came with the quarantine and the lockdown and everything. If you were someone who was living in a one-room apartment with no balcony, no way to be outside, no nothing... I can certainly understand how you might feel very much like, man, I wish I had a backyard or I had a balcony or I had something I, that would, I would have gone crazy. Well, but, I, I think I would have gone crazy as well, you know, but I lived in a one bedroom apartment and I absolutely loved my time there. I didn't, and being a homeowner now, now I have to worry about the front yard, the backyard. That's the other grass. side. You know, and it's, so don't be envious of that. You live in a one bedroom apartment. Um, depending where you can still go out for your walks, you can still, still do things. Um, there are other options. So don't, again, don't be so envious as to what other people have. I loved, uh, what, what Fred, uh, said about living within your means. Well, you know, you're envious of me, but I've worked hard. I've maybe been a little frugal at time. I've saved, I've done things a little bit differently. Um, so don't be, don't be envious of my success. Just, live within your means and you too can maybe potentially have this, but everyone's situation is also completely different. Never judge a book by its cover. But we are seeing the manifestation of this idea that people are envious and I'll I'll explain why we've talked on the show a few times with people in real estate and the market for, especially for, we've heard for homes with pools this summer has gone through the roof. Clearly now, do you call that envy? Do you call that something else? I don't know, but clearly there is all of a sudden, a lot of people want something they don't have. And is that the definition of envy? I don't know. Is is wanting something you don't have the definition of envy or is it wanting something you don't have and it burns you up that you can't get it? I'm not sure what the you know, because some people can get something they don't have because they've saved for it or whatever else. But it, it, it clearly there's people who want to have more right now. At the end of the day, if you want to have that eight hundred, nine hundred thousand dollar house, if you want to have a pool, you know, go to your bank. If the numbers work out for you, and if you can just scrape by and and get it, then then go for it. But I can tell you, and I've seen it. You're probably going to be house poor. You won't be able to retire at a decent age. You'll be working your tail off till the very end of it. So I don't know why anybody would, would want to do that. You, you can do it. You, there are people that will loan you money, companies that will say, here, yeah, but then you're just getting yourself into a whole 
a, a whole ball of wax. Again, to Fred's point, he was successful in his career and the way he did things. That's how you do it. It's the old-fashioned way, Scott. You work hard, you save, you be smart, and then that, that's how it works. I'm not envious of, of, of anyone because I've seen, and I know, some very successful people. And on the outside, man, they got it all. But behind the scenes, it's, it's, it's not all what it's cracked up to be, my man. Funny what you just described, which is that you want the big house. You want to have a pool because you want to be outside now that we're around home more often. But then a few years from now, when you can't retire, you're going to be envious of the person who retired. I mean, it, it never ends. I, I, I told my kids because I had to live this. I came to the conclusion and came to the realization years ago that the kids, when I go back, not kids anymore, the people that I went to high school with, you know what? Some of them are going to end up with more than me and some of them are going to end up with less than me. Deal with it. Deal with it. Don't, don't be. And if you run into someone and they've got a lot more because they've wildly succeeded beyond anything, deal with it because there's always someone who's going to have less. And it's, it's, it's the old saying at the end of the day, well, there's, there's two things. Everything that you have right now, once you leave this earth, you can't take it with you. And to, to piggyback on top of that, whether you have everything in the world or have nothing, you always end up in the same spot once your time is up, right? As, as it's, it's true. It, it's it's, it's true. It's absolutely it's bad, true. But it's the truth. Yeah. Someone said you've never seen a U-Haul on the back of a hearse. No. So li- live <laughs> the best life that you can. Whatever cards you've been dealt, play those ones. And you know what? You're going to have a little bit of luck. You're going to have to work harder than some people. That's just the way it is. As I just used my example, though, of my old classmates, that someone's going to have more and someone's going to have less. At some point, you're going to be the one who has the least. That would be tough <laughs> when, when, when you go to remember and you're, and they say, everyone, there's always going to be people with more and people with less. And you go, well, no, I'm the one at the end who, uh, but, okay, but never mind my least, example. But if you have the least, who, who cares? You could still be extremely happy. A wife that still loves you, kids that look up to you and respect you. A hundred percent. hundred percent. All of that stuff. So all the materialistic crap, I don't care about any of that stuff. You know, it's, it's, it's who you have around you and your health. That to me is, is what you should be envious of. Okay. So Mike, you're, you're, I, I don't disagree with you at all. I, I, and I think most people listening will agree with you. So if that's the case, and we're in a time right now where health is right at the top, I mean, this is the number one thing. Health is the number one issue. That would seem to be the time when we are least concerned about this other stuff. So why, you know, we're reading this stuff, we're hearing this stuff, that there are people, psychiatrists, psychologists, sociologists saying, yes, this is a time of great envy of other people who have stuff. If we are so attuned to the health issues, should that not have removed all this other stuff from our discussion? No, it seems to me we're, that we're going backwards. Because we're spending so much time at home, uh, binge-watching TV, watching commercials, being on the internet, you're being inundated with stuff. Get this, buy this, look what this person has, look, look what you could have. You know, it, you're, you're constantly being inundated because you're in your little cocoon. You can't get out as much and explore and just be with friends and, and, and talk about funny things that happen at the office or, or, or plan for something potentially. You're inundated with stuff that other people have, other people are doing. And, and, and as great as technology and social media and all the beautiful televisions that are out there, it, it, it's getting into people's heads right now because 
so many of us have been and maybe still are going a little stir crazy. So your mind starts going in a different in, in thousands different of directions. It is true that the companies that advertise have not stopped advertising. They, they've oh. done it differently now. You watch the commercials and, and you'll, most people will have noticed if you watch TV at all or if you're online, the commercials now are very much more touchy, feely, you know, be with your family, blah, blah, blah. But they're still selling stuff. Right? They're, they're trying to do it differently. Yeah, be with your family in this beautiful Cadillac. Oh, be with your family <laughs> exactly. and go on this beautiful <laughs> trip to, you know, because we got a great airfare sale. Be with your family in this beautiful new community that where we're building these brand new gorgeous houses. You know, I, I know exactly. I see it. But yeah, they're very smart, but it's still about moving stuff. It's still about moving get, product. Don't get sucked into it, man. Don't. Easier said than done. Slightly. Slightly easier said than done. Absolutely. Yes. But it's, uh, I thought it was a fascinating, I thought it was a fascinating piece because it did seem as though they are right. That when you look around, when you are stuck in your home and, and I, again, I say stuck, I mean, you're right. We have our health. Hopefully most people listening, everybody listening, hopefully as their health, you're stuck in your home. You're thinking, Oh, I want this home. I want that home. Here's one other example. I think it was I know she's in a lot of trouble right now with her career, but Ellen, I believe, did a thing, did a video that she posted before all this crap hit with her about her way she dealt with people, where she talked about that. She's like, oh, yeah, you know what? We're stuck here in our home like I'm in a prison. And it's like, wait a second. Your home is like 30,000 square feet that costs millions of dollars. That's the kind of thing that leads people to go, wait a second. I'm either going to be really mad or really envious because if you're not satisfied, if you're saying you're stuck in your home, look at where I'm stuck. This yeah, is the, as the saying goes, Scotty, more money, more problems, right? And uh, you, you, more money, more people coming after you, more people want something from you. It's uh, it's better, you know, if, if 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 you are fortunate enough to be extremely well off, if you can lead lead a simple, low key life, your your life is going to be far more superior. And these multimillionaires who've got lawsuits and people just constantly going at them and wanting more and more and more stuff. Doug has been waiting patiently to come on, dialed in. Doug, how are you today? I'm doing okay. It's nice to hear you two guys talking about keeping yourself up and keeping yourself enthusiastic about life. Well, that's good. Are you, are you, success, are you succeeding at that, Doug? Well, as much as we can. My wife and I have discovered little day trips. So we go walk downtown Paris for the afternoon, or we go up to nice. Cambridge and walk around, and just check out the sites and explore some of the local shops. So you're talking about Paris, France, and Cambridge, United <laughs> Kingdom, right? Yes, exactly. Yes. Did you also get to Boston and London and Scotland? No, but I've been to Hanover and I've been to uh, uh, Old Berlin, Ontario. There you go. There Have you, you taken go. Taking a drive out to Tilsonburg yet? Yeah. No, not yet. Okay. No, it's, you know what, it's, it's, it, I've done the same thing. You know, I had never, uh, we had family that came and I had never been to the devil's punch bowl here in Hamilton. Shockingly, I, somehow I'd never got there during this because they wanted to see the waterfall, which of course had completely dried up. There was no water, but nonetheless, it's a good idea. You know, you can do simple stuff now, Doug. And you support the market across the road from the punch bowl too. There you go. We were in there as well. Doug, thank you yeah, for the call. we got to take a break here. Thanks for calling in. Appreciate it. 
The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.